Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. I'm Bob Kaler, your host. Since the beginning of the movement, the people called Methodists have always been a singing people. We know that Charles Wesley himself wrote thousands of hymns that communicated Methodism's emphasis on God's grace and love in Christ, the transforming power of the Spirit, and the journey of sanctification. And many of these hymns are contained in the current United Methodist hymnal, and while there have been some supplements to the hymnal that incorporate some more contemporary worship music, the hymnals that most United Methodists that are using right now is more than 30 years old. Other Wesleyan traditions use different hymnals, and even more churches now use screens to enable congregations to sing more contemporary worship music. In the digital age, the idea of a new hymnal might seem like a throwback to a bygone era. But a new hymnal promises to recapture the great songs of the Wesleyan tradition and bring them to a new audience that's hungry for both good music and good theology. Our Great Redeemer's Praise, published by Seedbed, will soon be available to churches everywhere. And Dr. Jonathan Powers is one of the editors of this new collection, along with Julie Tennant. Jonathan is the Associate Dean of the E. Stanley Jones School of Mission and Ministry and Assistant Professor of Worship Studies at Asbury Theological Seminary, and he is my guest today. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us from your office there in Wilmore. And this is quite a project that you have undertaken. So I have to start with the obvious question, why a new hymnal, a physical hymnal? Yeah, that's a great question. That's an important question. It, I mean, part of it is just what you said, you know, it's been a while. (laughs) It's been quite a while (laughs) since there's been a hymnal and uh, a new hymnal come out, and not just for the United Methodists, for many traditions. Uh, there have been some hymnal projects in other places that have happened, but in the Wesleyan world, it's kind of who we are. You know, hym- hymnody and the publishing of hymnals. John and Charles Wesley published lots of hymnals. I mean, it wasn't just the one, you know, the big one that they did. They published lots of hymnals during their lifetime. And it, it's, part of it's just to say it, it's time. Um, things have, have changed in the church, and uh, there, there's things that we've lost in hymnals that have been published more recently, you know, in the last few decades, that uh, said we want to go back even further into history and reclaim um, for today in the church. But also some new songs, some beautiful new songs or new arrangements of songs that have come out that... Uh, really need to be shared and need to be uh, disseminated uh, to to churches and to people. And, you know, part of, and why, I mean, you said why a physical copy too, you know, why would we want to do a, a hard copy when, you know, we have so many digital resources today? There's different reasons for that. Uh, you know, theologically, embodiment's very important. We We really care about the body and the importance of the body and the significance of physical, things, physicality. Um, and even in a sacramental sense, we believe that God communicates the spiritual to us through the physical. Um, not saying a hymnal is a sacrament, but saying there's something communicated to us in receiving something physical. And when I, uh, when I see a hymnal and I think about a hymnal, I see it as an investment. Uh, there's a lot of intentionality that went into that. You only have so much space. You have to choose what songs you can do, what songs you you put in. What songs do you want to share? Um, how are you intentionally investing in the church and people in the church? Uh, the theology that you want to capture, um, the um, 
yeah, the doctrine that's there. Um, but also a physical uh, hymnal is is a sign to the church of care and investment to say, look, we care enough about our church that we want to invest in this thing to publish for people, but also uh, to to purchase, to supply, to give. You know, you receive some. You have to receive something physically, and so there's kind of a gifting in that um, that's that's occurring that we lose in the digital world. Things just kind of fly by, and it's so quick or so here for a moment, then gone. That, uh, that that we lose the importance of the physical gifts that we receive. Yeah, I I, I think that uh, you know when when we look inside of our United Methodist hymnals, in my church in particular, you can look inside the front cover and see this is dedicated to so and so, or purchased by so and so for the life of the church. Mm. So there is an investment in that, and there's something about physically having a book. It's like the like the debate that people have between do I read a book on a digital device or mm. do I have a physical book? I yeah. love to have a physical book. There are times when I like the digital cause it fits in my mm. backpack on a trip easier. But most of the time, if you ask me, I'd rather have a physical book and that's mm. why physical books have not gone away. Yeah. Right. There's a, there's a sense that we want something tangible, something tactile uh, to yeah. put our hands on and to pull that out of the, the pew rack or something like that really does add to that sense of experience when you're in worship. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something too about um, the physicality. Yeah. The tactile, all of the senses being engaged, you know, you, you feel it. I mean, we might not be tasting it, but you know, we feel it. We, um, we we can smell it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I guess, you know, I guess there is scriptural precedent, (laughs) but uh, um but uh, but there's uh, a sense of of the senses being engaged. Uh, you're holding it. You're feeling it. You're touching it. You're seeing it. Uh, you're I mean smelling it in some way. I, I remember that. I mean there's there can be a bad sense of that I, I suppose. But uh, really, it's a great memory for me. I remember the pews and the hymn the hymnals in the pews at churches where I grew up and pulling it out and just that smell and it. it the, the memory comes with it. You know, when, if I, if I pick up a hymnal, even today in a church, I'm taken back to all of these experiences of my childhood. And it's really a beautiful thing. Another thing is, is the, the aid of memory too. Um, seeing the words on a hymn, uh, the, the visual aspect of it, you know, you can see all the verses at the same time and you're having to go through the page multiple times. And it kind of reinforces what's happening in that hymn the structure of it, the narrative of it, uh, the theology of it, by seeing it all there together and by working through it, you know, line by line slowly and continuing back through the different stanzas and things where on a screen, you have some sense of that, but what's there is there for a moment and then it's gone. You don't see it all together. And so sometimes, you know, for certain hymns, I think of Charles Wesley hymns where he might be writing a hymn to the Trinity and if you're really paying attention, you might notice, oh, wait, we sing about the Father in this verse, and then we sing about the Son in this verse, and the Spirit in this verse. But when you see it all written out there, you see it very clearly. Oh, there's Father, there's Son, there's Spirit. You know, we might just miss it when it's on the screen, if, you know, if kind of a, an attention deficit almost, you know, that the screens can uh, cause in some ways. It puts it into context. I think mm. of it like the difference between using a GPS or a roadmap. A roadmap oh. gives you context. 
and it yeah. puts what you're singing, if you're think, putting it in terms of a hymnal, what you're singing in terms of the context of the larger work that the author of the hymn is trying to put together. Yeah. And, and I love that because as I, I mean, I, I, when I'm using the hymnal, there are certain phrases that leap out at you that stick with you when you're using the context mm -hmm. of, of the book. So yeah. I really, I really love that and appreciate it. And this, this particular edition, we had a chance to get my hands on a copy at new room and it's just a beautiful book. It just feels right in your hand. And there's something really, it's not easy to describe what that means, but it, but I think you put it well, it does connect us to memory. It does connect us to place and, and yeah. things like that. So let's talk about the hymns themselves. How did you and Julie go about the process of compiling these and what were your criteria? For example, I noticed we have some of the classic old Wesley hymns, but we also mm -hmm. have more contemporary songs that our praise band sings like come now is the time to worship mm -hmm. 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. How did you go about compiling this? What was your criteria? So there was there were there are a few steps in this process and really have to thank Andrew Miller uh, at Seedbed, who's the publishing uh, director there and uh, really oversaw um, a lot of that part of it, the actual publishing side of this, but also worked with us in the um, indexing is what we call it in terms of how do we decide what songs are going in there. Um, and Allison Clore, who uh, was a student here at the seminary and now works at Asbury Seminary in our admissions office. But she was uh, a, a worker with us on this. And Allison did uh, our first step in this process. Allison was a huge, huge help in. Um, we owe her so much gratitude. Allison, what we decided to do, let me back up. What we had decided to do was to find the most recent hymnals out of the major Wesleyan traditions. So free Methodist salvation army, Nazarene Wesleyan United Methodist. Uh, we even used um, the AME Zion hymnal um, uh, things like that. You know, we tried to find these major hymnals in the most recent publications. And then we put a spreadsheet together with the index of hymns from every single one of those hymnals. So it was this massive spreadsheet. There were nine hymnals total that we ended up consulting for this. And we put all of the indexes of those, every hymn, including in each of those included in each of those hymnals, put them in a spreadsheet and then did a comparison. So we would look and say, um, what shows up, uh, you know, out of nine hymnals, what sh does anything show up nine times? And you can say like, oh, um, oh, 4,000 tongues to sing shows up nine times. Amazing grace shows up nine times. Those are must haves in this hymnal. You know, um, what shows up seven times? What shows up six times? And we kind of set a threshold there, right? About, you know, five or six. Those are just automatically put into our beginning database. And then we looked through what shows up three, two, one. And, uh, you know, is there anything good in there that other traditions just did not cling to or, or decided not to put in their hymnal for whatever reason? Um, and you and, and kind of one by one went through hymns and just made that decision. And we so we ended up compiling um, a, a database of about 500 hymns that uh, we said these are must haves according to our um 
opinion, you know, on some of this, our, our discernment, I should say, our discernment, um, as well as uh, what has been shown through these symbols that these traditions truly find uh, as val- uh, a value to include in their hymns, uh, their hymnals. So these hymns really stand out because they are showing up uh, numerous times. So, um, so we, we took that list and then we put together a consultant team or an advisory team of 12 different denominations, 12 different Wesleyan denominations. And we sent them the list of 500 hymns that we had decided must go in our hymnal. Um, and we said, if you look at this, what do you say is, what do you see as missing? Would you say that here's a hymn that uh, from our tradition that if it's not included in this hymnal, we would say it does not represent us well because our one of our goals with this hymnal was to tr- make it a truly pan-Wesleyan hymnal that any Wesleyan denomination would look at it and say we are represented in that hymnal. Um, now, that doesn't mean that every we're expecting every denomination to throw out their old hymnals and buy this one, but just saying we want to represent them well. So um, send, uh, send this to a couple of Salvation Army folks that are very familiar with Salvation Army music and hymnody, um, kind of experts in that field um, and, and very knowledgeable about their traditions music. And we said, what is a must have? Do, do you see that in this index? If not, can you write it down on a spreadsheet that we gave them? And send that to us along with music so that we can see it and we can take that into uh, consideration. Um, and is there anything else that in general you notice that's just missing? You know, a, a song, it doesn't have to come from your tradition. You could just say, you know, this was a really good song. So one of those for me was, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. I love that song. I love that hymn. I think it's a wonderful hymn. It shows up in some hymnals. It's missing in a lot of hymnals. But I said, you know, I, I think this is a really good one that we should consider and we should put in, in the index. So um, something like that may not come from your tradition, but it's just a really good hymn that uh, you, you think should be included in this hymnal. And then um, we also said um, the third part of it, of what we asked them, was, is there anything in this hymnal that you think should be struck from it? Maybe it's from your own denomination. You say, you know, I know, thank you for putting this in. Yes, that is a Nazarene hymn. It's a, it's a popular one written by a Nazarene um, a writer, composer, but that's not one that we really sing or really find valuable. You know, it's, it is from a time that has kind of passed and we don't know if that would really be one worth putting in here. Or just one in general to say, this is one that I think um, just is not really reflective of our theology or doctrine or whatever it might be. And we asked them to give a rationale for why it should be struck. So we got all of those back. We took all those into consideration and had, I don't know, a hundred and some, uh, about 110, I think, um, new hymns and a few you know struck hymns uh, to consider. And Almost every single one of them that was given to us from the advisory committee was added to the hymnal. Um, so we you could say we feel like we're representing them well and they advised us well. We thought these are very good hymns. We did not know about them. We would have never come across these ourselves. So we really appreciate that advice that um, was given to us. 
And then out, outside of that, um, there was a little bit of space left over, or it could be as we were looking through hymn, hymns or in churches or things like that, something might just come to our head and be like, oh my goodness, that's not in our hymnal. Why is that not in our hymnal? That's a wonderful hymn. Um, and uh, and yeah, so we, we just said, uh, those are things that we really need to consider. We asked, uh, you know, our advisory team, um, we've made sure to find people who not only were experts and leaders in traditional settings, traditional hymnody, but also contemporary uh, settings and saying, what are some of the songs from the last 20, 30, 40 years that should be part of this hymnal too? You think these are ones that are sub- substantive and have an enduring quality and they would be very fitting for this hymnal. So we received those as well from that same advisory committee. And uh, it, I mean, it really was fantastic work um, from, from them in helping us with um, knowing how we could index this hymn well. Um, like I said, starting off with that comparative chart, Allison Clore was the one who put all of those spreadsheets together for us and did the comparison work and gave that to us. Then we did the work of kind of uh, sifting through them and making decisions. But, um, there was a, there were a lot of people who had a voice in this. And I think that's really important it, that it was not simply from one tradition. It was not simply from a small group, but many people contributed to it. So we could make it as robust of an expression of hymnody as, as we could. And it is really comprehensive. I, I was amazed at the number of hymns and the number of hymns that I didn't know, that were were in there. So it, I think it would be a great opportunity for a congregation to explore some of this new music. I mean, I, most congregations probably have about 12 hymns that they sing. And even in the United Methodist hymnal, it's been around 30 years or more. Sometimes I'll pop a, a, a different hymn in there. And people are like, that's new. We don't like that. Well, it's been in there for 30 years. And so you have to kind of train uh, yeah. to sing through the catalog, so to speak. And as you compiled all of these, you then put them in a particular structure, which I found to be really wonderful as I got a, a advanced copy, a reader's copy of the, of the hymnal. You structure them around the Apostles' Creed, and there's a really intentional framework about how these hymns are organized. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, every hymnal has to be organized, as you said, it has, has to have some kind of organized organizational, um, component to it. And, um, how do you find hymns? You know, how do you, how do you even place hymns in, um, some kind of intentional category so that, uh, people can understand, you know, this is a, a theme that we want to emphasize that hymns are emphasizing and all that. And there's different ways that hymnals have done it. Um, Hymn committees have have decided to do that in their hymnals. A lot of times they'll follow perhaps like the liturgical calendar, the church year. And with that, uh, you know, you have the life of Christ that's that's focused on in different ways. And then kind of general categories about God, God's character, God's work, God's love, God's grace. and we were thinking through that and trying to think the breadth of who might be using this hymnal and who are, who are you know, producing it for said, you know, part of a hymnal is it's a catechesis. It's, it's a catechetical resource, meaning um, if that word's not familiar to everybody, catechesis mainly is, is a way of talking about teaching discipleship. 
um, really the word means to echo back. And we're saying we're echoing back the faith that has been handed to us, right? Handed down to us. As we were thinking about that, we said, well, that's really the, the faith that's been handed down to us is embodied in the Apostles' Creed. And what a great organizational structure for this hymnal to say, we confess this, uh, we confess this creed, and we stand on this as the foundation of our belief. And the, hymn, the hymnal is doing the same thing. The hymnal is based upon that foundation of the faith. And, um, and to show how these hymns speak to each one of those aspects of the creed. Um, everything that's said in the creed, there's a hymn for it. Now, there's many hymns that could go in multiple places, you know, because the hymns can be complex or talk about multiple things. So we had to make a decision. Well, this hymn could go here, here, or here. Which one do we put it in? We said, well, this one, we think it really speaks to this, or we really want to emphasize this category or this subject, you know, this, this component of the creed. And so we want to put this hymn there because of that. And it really was a, um, it was a fun thing to do, but thought, you know, we don't, at least in terms of our team, we have never seen a hymnal structured that way. Never seen a hymnal that had actually um, used the creed as its organizational um, kind of method for putting hymns together. And so, um, yeah, just really uh, found that to be meaningful and we're hopeful that churches would find it meaningful too to emphasize those aspects of the faith and to um, to also uh, reaffirm those beliefs, reaffirm those uh, tenets of the faith that are so important to us as the church. Another thing that's in there is at the very end, you'll find um, 12 hymns that were written by Samuel Stone on the Apostles' Creed. So he did this years and years ago, wrote 12 hymns on the Apostles' Creed, uh, one for each um, each kind of statement there in the Apostles' Creed. And the one that we know the best of his 12 is the church's one foundation. Mm. So I believe you know, in the Holy Catholic Church. Um, and, um, and we sing that one today, but there were actually, that was only one of 12 that he had written for that. So at the very end, we have the whole hymnal is structured by the Apostles' Creed. And then we have hymns that are lyrical versions of the Apostles' Creed, some traditional hymns. And we have like hill songs, This I Believe, that's in there that's you know based on the creed. And then after that, there are the 12 hymns by um, Samuel Stone that focus on the Apostles' Creed that are one for each um, statement there in the Apostles' Creed. So it's really uh, a neat thing to see how it's continually reaffirmed throughout this, but um, really it's, it's, it's showing that this is not only um, catechetical, it's also confessional. Um, there really is a confessional aspect to it. That's really important. Yeah. And things are renumbered. So, you know, when, after, you know, decades of being a United Methodist pastor, I kind of know where things are in the hymnal by, by number. So I'm gonna have to refigure that out now and yeah. <laughs> uh, get new numbers. If we move to a new hymnal now, you, you, yeah, it's yeah, 363 and can it be? Well, right. where is it now? I don't know where yes. it is. So, uh, so, you know, you include some great liturgy in here as well. And, and I was really interested in that. I mean, as someone who 
is very sacramental and we do communion every Sunday and every service. I went back there first, to be honest, because I mm. wanted to see mm. what the liturgy looked like. And as we're thinking about, you know, the launch of the Global Methodist Church and all of that, what kind of liturgy are we going to use? Mm. You all put some liturgy in there for baptism, for Holy Communion. There's even the full Wesley Covenant service in there. In mm. addition in, in addition to the Nicene Apostles' Creed, there's also the Athanasian Creed, which is quite extensive. There's a lot of other material there that I found really, really helpful and beautiful. And you're an Anglican, so mm-hmm. you could tell there's some influence there. But primarily, how did you draw this liturgy together, thinking that, again, this is a pan-Wesleyan hymnal, so you've got to be able to connect with all of those traditions. Talk yeah. about the formation of that liturgy and how you hope it will be used. Yeah, that so that was the difficulty, exactly what you named, to saying this is a pan-Wesleyan hymnal. So we can't go to just one tradition and say, this is it for everybody, or we think this should be it for everybody. It was, it was hard. So when we were deciding what to do with the liturgy, we said, you know, let's go back to the source, at least in terms of Wesleyanism. Um, let's go back to the source. Um, and for Wesleyans here in America, that's John Wesley's Sunday service that he sent with, you know, Thomas Koch and the pastors to the pastors here in America to use, uh, to help structure their Sunday service and all that. So, and that's basically John Wesley's revision of the 1662 book of common prayer. And so there's many elements that are very, very similar to the 1662 book of common prayer. And we said, you know, well, let's start there. Let's modernize it, update it, contemporize it, whatever word you want to use there. Uh, but let's let's update it to more modern language um, and syntax that will be a little bit more familiar. But also say there's there's beautiful liturgies that have been written since 1662. You're not saying that's the only thing we can um, look at or should look at. Let's look at some other liturgies too. Let's look at some other traditions. And there's some some lines or phrases or some ideas at least in some of these other liturgies, I'm, I'm thinking communion in particular and baptism too, but I'm thinking communion right now. These beautiful ideas, these beautiful phrases said, is, are there ways that we can kind of adapt that into it, merge it into it without stealing it, you know, but saying this idea is really good. How can we bring that into this liturgy and, and add a, a phrase here and there to kind of expand from that 1662 Book of Common Prayer, uh, or the Wesley Sunday Service, really, um, that Wesley Sunday Service material. Um, and maybe people will say, oh, so there's a lot of new stuff here, but that line there actually felt really familiar to what I'm used to or what I remember, you know, from the United Methodist Church or from the the AME Zion, you know, um, whatever that might be. So uh, that, that was part of the thinking behind it. Now, the material that we included in there said um, we wanted to give good resources. Said what, what's really you know, central to life of the church? And then there's more. I mean, you have so much space. You can't do everything. We had tons of ideas of what to put in that liturgical material. And then we knew how many pages we had. We said, well, what's most important? <laughs> you know? right. so, baptism, Eucharist, definitely. Um, no question. We need to do both of those. So we put both of those in there and then um, said, but we know everybody that uh, that's that might use this hymnal 
um, is not going to be in the same kind of tradition or the same expression of worship. There may be some people who are not used to liturgical um, acts, you know, more formalized, what I should say, more formalized, structured, call and response, liturgical acts of worship. It could be very foreign to some people. So he said, you know, it could be good to include a Eucharist guide for people who find themselves in non-liturgical settings. How can they still pray the Eucharist prayer, be faithful, um, and to pray it with integrity to what the Eucharist prayer has been in the church throughout the ages, but to be able to do it in a more low church, um, non-liturgical way. And um, there's a guide for that in there for people who might find themselves in that kind of setting or in a church where it's both, you know, it's like, well, over here we do liturgy and we do more of the formalized stuff. And over here we do a little bit more informal and non-structured liturgy in this kind of way. So somebody even in their same church might say, well, this is good here and this is good here. So that was part of that decision. And then, uh, of course, the creeds, we say these are foundational. We want to put those in. So the ecumenical creeds, the ones that are um, recognized by the church uh, broadly, um, these are the the main creeds that we all kind of claim and agree upon. Um, and then uh, the prayer said, we want to offer historic prayers in here that people can pray. And to show these resources, this broad treasury, I, I really not a broad, this deep treasury is a better way to put it, this deep treasury of resources that we have in the church um, throughout the ages. And so you have the canticles that come from the scriptures and Psalms, things like that, that come from the scriptures. You have prayers from the early church, from the medieval church, from those in the Reformation, from those in the more modern era, the revivalist era. Um, those in recent centuries. And we wanted to include significant voices and prayers that they have offered and left to us. And so those a, a good sampling of prayers are in there um, just to show uh, these are historic prayers and you can use them in your churches. Please use them in the church, your churches. Help people understand you know, the beauty of what's been handed down in these prayers and how they focus us and orient us to God in certain ways. Um, and then the Wesley Covenant Service, and that's just been so central to who we are as Methodists, and it was so important to Wesley. Um, that is an updated version that I did, a, a contemporized version that I did for Seedbed years ago that we um, decided to include because said, you know, we want this to be a priority for people, for, for the Wesleyan world, wherever you might find yourself. We want to show we actually think this is really important for us to do regularly. And so we are going to choose to put that in there instead of some other things that we could have. I, I really love this part of the, the hymnal. And, you know, for example, in the renunciation profession of faith in the baptismal liturgy, it is the, the old language. Um, do you renounce the devil and all his works? Mm -hmm. We start with that. I, yeah. it's so much more distinct than yeah. even what we have in our United Methodist hymnal. And of course, people are going to have to get used to saying the Lord be with you and with your spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now that, uh, yeah, that might be too much of the Anglican in me, but I think it's important, you know, like we're saying there's a recognition in that. Uh, there's two places actually, I think are really important because there, there was a shift that happened in the seventies, 60s, seventies, eighties. Um, 
in the language. We went from with, with your spirit to with you and also with you. And it became a little bit more about like the fellowship. The, I mean, to say, and with your spirit, we're actually looking at something deeper and acknowledging something deeper and a deeper connection between us, you know? Um, and, and that's really important. And so I think reclaiming that language is good. You know, it's not, I, I mean, I've had people say that like, oh, that's the Anglicans trying to get to us, right? It's not an Anglican thing. It's a theological thing. And it's not, and it's not a new thing either. It's not a new thing. No. And the Anglicans didn't invent it. Yeah. Not a bit. The other one is um, in the, um, the preface there and, and the, um, the, the Sursum Corda in the, um, the Eucharist liturgy, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Um, let, um, let us give him thanks and praise. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Now what happened in more recent liturgies over the last few decades, it was, it is right to give our thanks and praise. The original language and what we went back to there in this is it is right to give him thanks and praise. And there's a big difference between the two because the focus is not on us and what we're doing. You know, I mean, it, it is good to give God thanks and praise. We should give our thanks and praise, but there's a, an object here. There's a focus to it. And we put the focus on us when we say it is right to give our thanks and praise. Yes, this is good for us to do. Look at us. We're awesome. You know, instead of it is right to give him thanks and praise. This is about God, not us. It's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's actually, actually a huge one theologically. And that's one I just could not let go. I said, we have to go back to that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really, really appreciate it. And there's also some hymns as well that are suggested in the midst of the liturgy too, mm -hmm. um, that I, I think is really wonderful. Just, uh, you know, a, a verse or so to sing over the baptismal liturgy or yeah. to sing in the communion liturgy, uh, really, really, really wonderful stuff. And there's also the connectivity of the of the Psalms, uh, the today and things like that for the daily office. Yeah. So if you're using the daily office with a congregation, you can have these responsive readings here as well, mm -hmm. which is really, yeah. really wonderful. The collects that are some of them from the so it's really a a compilation of a lot of different things together in one place. Mm. I think it's a wonderful resource. How do you hope churches will use this as they think about purchasing it or investing? Because it is an investment to yeah, do this for your for your local church. How do you hope that they'll use it? Definitely for worship. Um, you know, that's really the primary reason of a hymnal is for doxology to praise God um, as an aid to our participation in prayer and praise as we worship together. Um, so really want that for it to be um, in churches for the, for the purposes of corporate worship. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, of course that's, that's, that's pretty much a given for a hymnal, but beyond that a hymnal's good as, as I was talking about earlier for a catechetical resource, you know, a hymnal used to not sit in the back of the pew. Um, a hymnal used to sit in your, you know, in, in your horse, pocket there, like the, the care, the saddlebag, I guess what it's called. Um, as you rode your horse, you know, you stuck it in there with your Bible. And I like things. horse pocket though. That's kind of a neat horse pocket. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a, a pretty easy descriptor. Yeah, for it, yeah. But yeah. 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 Um, but in the, um, you know, in, in, 
the original use of hymnals, you carried it around with you wherever you went. You took it home with you. You'd bring a hymnal to church. Um, you would use it for singing in the home. It wasn't just to sit at home on a shelf. You'd use it to actually sing in the home, um, to teach hymns and to teach theology, to teach doctrine to children, to family members, to learn it together, to know songs, to teach music even. I mean, uh, I love the theological and the doctrinal part, but even set that aside for a moment, just music. People learned music and to sing together in the home. And that was beautiful too. Of course, there's more than it. It's more than that, but that is a beautiful thing in itself even. Um, but um, yeah, I, I would hope that would be in the, in homes that people would take it and take time to read through it devotionally. You know, you can take, um, take a hymn a day and you've got a couple of years worth of stuff there, almost not quite, but a couple of years worth of stuff to work through and to read through and to pray through. I think that's that's wonderful. I've known people that have done that with other hymnals. We really hope that's done in the same way. I hope that's used in, um, you know, not even just the church, but even in academic settings, um, that there'd be opportunities, um, perhaps even for study, you know, to study a hymnal. What is this collection? What is the organizing principle of the collection? What does it emphasize? How do we see a real focus on God's grace and sanctification. You know, what are the distinctives, the doctrinal distinctives that are really emphasized through this hymnal? There could be some of that done with it. Um, I'm saying that as an academic, I find that fascinating. I don't think tons of people will, but as a <laughs> liturgy nerd and a hymn nerd, I, I do. Um, but, um, you know, I think there's, there's so many uses, but really do hope churches see it as a valuable investment in their people. Um, for worship, for growth, for discipleship, um, that uh, and that people will see that as an investment as well um, in one another in their own spiritual formation. Um, I, and I really do. I don't know. I've I've just been over and over again recently. I've I've been convicted about the importance of bringing things like this into the home. And not just leaving it in the church, but bringing it into the home. What are the regular patterns that we're doing outside of worship to uh, continue our growth and our formation? And, um, you know, the Wesleys, when they produced their hymnals, they said, we want to help people see full salvation in the experience of Christ from initial belief to sanctification. You know, um, and that wasn't just in the worship. That was by taking the hymnals home and looking through them, reading through them and understanding God's grace. Because there's a beauty in, you know, it's, it, a hymnal is a piece of art in its own way. There's creativity put in it to, in music and in lyric. Um, and uh, it, it can help us see the beauty of God in a distinct way, in a unique way. And I think by spending time with a hymnal, together in our corporate settings, but also personally in our devotional settings, but also in our family settings or small groups. I know everybody might not be in a, um, in a place where they have a lot of family with them around them, but in our small group area, whatever that might look like, our roommates, our whoever it might be that we're, we're around and um, can, um, as, you know, as the Wesleys would say, those people that are in our lives that help us watch over one another in love this can be an aspect of that. 
the title of the new hymnal is Our Great Redeemer's Praise. It is taking pre-orders now, I think, on Seedbed. Yes, you can also go to ourgreatredeemerspraise.com. Just straight up, uh, one word, no hyphens, no punctuation, ourgreatredeemerspraise.com. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And we are glad that you've joined us on this edition of Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. As always, you can send us your comments and questions at podcast at wesleyancovenant.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at WCA Pod. We'll see you back here again next time on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association.